Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain a leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today we're going to discuss future expressions of the church. Now, it's not going to come as a surprise to you that the church of tomorrow is going to look different than the church of today, because the church of today looks really different than the church of 30 years ago. But as we begin to experience the kind of change that's coming our way, there's a tsunami that's pouring over us, and we're going to have to change in response to it, or it's going to overwhelm us. As baby boomers pass from the scene, finances are going to tighten, making it more difficult for churches to own large campuses to manage expensive programs. The left-leaning political climate is going to pass laws, rendering it more difficult for us to do business as we've done it in the past. We've already seen zoning laws impede the development of properties. Future changes in tax laws are frightening because they may begin to tax the income of the church. And the codification of politically correct speech is going to affect the way that we present our message. It's already happened in Canada that a pastor has been arrested for reading a Bible verse that offended somebody's political sensibilities. In short, change is upon us whether we prepare for it or not. We have the opportunity now to think ahead, to begin to manage our future, and to manage our expectations of the future, and to strategize and build tactics that are going to help us to to lower our profile a little bit as we enter into the future. So the church of the future is going to have to adopt a lower profile in the United States. First, the cost of church as we know it is going to require a less expensive and more relational approach to meetings. Consumer-oriented Christianity is going to become more difficult. And this is actually a good thing, as that's going to appeal to more millennials and Gen Z. The second reason for a lower profile is the antipathy of the larger culture toward Christ followers, something I mentioned a little bit earlier. We're going to be forced to make disciples outside the church as an invitation to attend churches is going to be met with rising hostility. That's already become an issue in the marketplace. A lot of companies now prevent you from even talking about religion in any way, let alone trying to evangelize somebody or to invite them to a church. And it's probably a very good thing. If you read the book of Acts, you go back to the second chapter, and it tells about all the healthy things that were going on in a highly relational context. And then it says, that they were having favor with all the neighbors, and the Lord was adding daily to their number such as should be saved. As I read that, I can't escape the thought that people were coming to the Lord outside the church and then being brought into the church. You know, I've always pastored from a position that suggested that evangelism is something that happens through friendship. Today I would say through making disciples through friendship, that you begin to know somebody, they know you, They're interested in you. They're interested in what makes you tick. They're interested in your Jesus. And by the time that you bring them to our church and I stand up there and get all the glory for, you know, everybody who accepts the Lord every week at the end of the service while I pray this little two-minute prayer, probably became a Christian last Tuesday or the Thursday before that, or it was a process as their friend just began to 
walk with them and then they begin to walk with their friend and it became a follow me as I follow Christ kind of a deal. And so as we look at a lower profile for the church, it's going to take a lot more relational form of church to thrive, let alone survive in America. As we think about a different kind of a profile for the church or a different expression of the church, I want you to be thinking in terms of a boutique church rather than a franchise church. What do I mean by that? Well, McDonald's is a franchise. They all look the same. A boutique would be a coffee shop that's not a Starbucks. That so a couple towns, Santa Cruz, California, very left-leaning in its sensibilities, doesn't want Starbucks in their town. They don't want McDonald's in their town. It's a boutique town for boutique-thinking people. And so I think the church of the future is going to probably have to take more of a boutique flavor on than a franchise flavor. There's a difference, if we're thinking about planting churches, between a well-oiled franchise at what I'm going to call level four, the church that reproduces itself, than there is of a boutique church that's going to appear in a church that multiplies itself. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I want you to think about a photocopy machine. If I put a document in a copy machine and pop out a copy, it looks almost exactly like the original document. And I can make 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 copies, and they'll all look almost exactly like the original document. But what if I took the first copy and I put it back into the machine and made a copy of it, and then I made a copy of that copy, and then a copy of that copy? Those copies several generations out would resemble the original document, but they would be fuzzy. They wouldn't look quite like the original document. And this is really what happens, and this is the choice that you have to make if you're thinking about starting a church multiplication movement versus reproducing a few churches. You know, as I begin to think about church and church multiplication, I'm very, very mindful of the fact that at level five, you really abandon any sense of control. You have to trust the Holy Spirit in an altogether different level than you do at level four. Level three being an addition church, you know, going back to what we always talk about in exponential. Level one is a church that's probably losing ground, shrinking. Level two is a church that has come to a place where they're paying the bills, the pastor's getting a steady paycheck, and and things are comfortable. Level three is the church that is adding, and we have to add if we intend to multiply, so that's a good thing. But we can fall into the trap of adding for addition's sake or adding for ego's sake even. I look at what I would call level three and a half as a multi-site church where, you know, video particularly, where it's like a a supermarket that came up in one town and and yet they have product delivery at four or five different locations. And, And so I'm going to call that one level three and a half. But level four is where I think most people who are thinking about planting churches are going to be most comfortable. And that's a good thing. And that means that you're going to kind of operate it pretty much like you do any program in your church. You're going to brand it well. You're going to be the photocopy machine that's making copies that look a lot like you. And you're going to hold certain standards. I've talked to pastors who I think hold a little too high standards. One guy is in the process of planting like three churches a year. But his deal is, well, I want my board to be their board. And uh, we're going to do all the baptisms at the mothership. And something is really wrong with that one. And again, the franchise deal is going to be that you're going to reach out and you're going to make churches and they're going to look like you. They're going to have your name. Uh, their graphics are going to be like yours. They might even preach the same sermon that you preach. But there's going to be this tight connection. However, the really good thing is that the kingdom of God is growing at a much faster clip than if all we do is add numbers to our own church or even add sites to our campus because there's, a, there's quickly a ceiling there. 
there is also a ceiling at level four. It, it comes to a point where 30, 40 churches out there are about all you're going to be able to handle if you're holding that tight of control on to people. Level five is altogether a different animal, and it really requires that you're willing to surrender the thing and say, I don't own it. And it's okay if they change the name and they, they change the graphics and even if the doctrine's a little different. You know, I've been a pastor for a really long time and I planted a church with 12 people and 12 years later, I was the 30th guy to leave that church to go and plant another church. And that whole 12 years, everything was level four. I would have said level five if I even understood that nomenclature at the time, but of course I didn't. However, I would have said, yeah, we're a multiplying church. And I would have even argued and fought with you over that one. But the truth is that every budget that was set, I had something to do with it. Every person that went out the door, whoever discipled them and brought them into Christ, and however they were brought up in knowledge and understanding inside of our church and, and its programs, I would be the last guy that they would talk with. I would spend five to six months meeting with them once a week and just talking about pretty much whatever they wanted to talk about. But the whole thing centered on me, and all of the churches bore our name. And so we were level four church. And then we moved to Hawaii, and the Lord put something on our heart that was pretty strong, and it was very, very direct. It came almost miraculously, and it was a commission to reach 1% of the state of Hawaii in 10 years in churches that we'd either started or we helped other people to start. Now, 1% at that time was 10,000 people. At that time, only 4%, 40,000, were attending church anywhere. And so by our adding 10,000 in a decade, we're going to cause the church of Jesus Christ in the state of Hawaii to grow by 25%. And so I stood up on a beach on a Sunday morning. We couldn't find a place that would rent to us. And so we went and, and faked a picnic in a beach park because you can't get a permit to be there. There's a policeman that would come and kind of watch us every Sunday. And that was a frightening thing. But there were 72 people who showed up. We used the radio pretty effectively to let people know that we were there. We had spent some time, quite a bit of time, traveling back and forth to Oahu and had people already involved from our church who had moved there by the time that my family and I lived there. And so that first week on the beach, we'd already been functioning in small groups for several weeks, and 72 people came. That was At that time, that was a very big deal. And I know a lot of you are thinking large, large, and, and that's small in terms of what you're thinking about, but it was big for us. I stood on that beach and told people that this is our vision. We're going to reach 1%. It's 10,000 people. There's no way that I'm ever going to be the pastor of 10,000 people. I'm just not cut out for that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to disciple a bunch of you. Some of you that are sitting here this morning are going to become pastors, and that's not going to get the job done. We're going to have to go a little further than that. And there's people, and the way I put it was this, there are people who are probably out there doing drugs this morning who don't know it, but they're going to come to know Jesus because of our church. And some of you are going to disciple some of them, and they too are going to become pastors. And together we're going to reach 1% of the population of Hawaii in 10 years. Well, it didn't happen. It took 11. We got there, but it took 11 years. The really wonderful thing is along the way, we planted in the time that I was in Hawaii. I was there as the pastor of one church for 27 years. I lived there for 35 years altogether. And during that time, we started, I think, 63 churches in the state of Hawaii. A few years in, uh, Wayne Cordero moved from the mainland, started New Hope Churches. Our churches were called Hope Chapel. And those guys began to plant churches, and they planted almost exactly the same number of churches that we did. 
their churches tend to be bigger than ours, and, and that's a wonderful thing. I never knew how to crack that code. But God blessed through both movements. But the real blessing that came through uh, what New Hope did and what the Hope Chapels did was that we inspired a whole bunch of other people. In 2006, a friend of mine who is a pastor, one of the larger churches in Oahu, began to be concerned. The Catholic Church was telling people that now 22% of the people in the state are Christians when just you know a few years earlier, a couple decades earlier, it had only been 4%. So 4 to 22 was just too much of a stretch. And so my friend came to me and to several others, and we raised a bunch of money, and we brought the Barna Group to Hawaii. And so they did a sampling. They went around the malls and all the different places they go and asked people questions about um, two things. One was their religious outlook and affiliation, and the second was, had you been in church or in some kind of religious service in the last seven days? And the numbers that, that came out were amazing. 34% of the people polled said they'd been in church in the last seven days. And then the other number was really astounding because 62% of the people in Hawaii or 67% of the people in Hawaii said that they were either Protestant or Catholic and they had come to know the Lord in the last couple of decades. So that's the power of church multiplication. But here's the deal. It was the boutique churches that did the job. We were a boutique movement. The the New Hopes were pretty much a franchise movement. They look a lot alike. Our churches tended to not look so much alike. If somebody was a Baptist, and my background, my heritage is charismatic, if they were a Baptist and they wanted to go start a Baptist church, we'd just bless them. And, and in those days, they would use our name. and We'd give them money. We'd send people with them. And so we really took this boutique approach to planting churches. Well, time has gone by. I've left Hawaii and and a lot of the Hope Chapels are now changing their names, and people get all upset about that. And they especially wonder, what do I think, and, and how do I feel, because I kind of got this thing rolling. And you know what? Uh, way, way back and when I was 25 years old, we changed the name of a church, and more power to them. I just think it's a really wonderful thing. But the point that I'm making here is that if we're going to go forward in the future, we're going to have to take a lower profile. It's going to have to be more relational than it's been in the past. Because of finances, because of, of politics, it's probably going to have to be smaller. It's going to have to be able to fly below the radar in terms of um, government opposition, things like that. The whole idea of, of a boutique church, what I said earlier is that the boutique churches are the ones that got the job done, and that's, this is how that shakes out. I said a few minutes earlier that it was the boutique churches that got the job done in Hawaii in terms of moving the needle from 4% of the state not just adding 1% like we intended to do and did do, but moving it to 67% of the state. That was colossal. And that was done by a whole plethora of boutique churches. There are all these churches with a lot of them goofy little names. They're, they're small churches. Many of them are pastored by freelance pastors. These are the little churches that did the heavy lifting. I was there. We did what we did. Wayne Cordero came to town. They did what they did. Good stuff happened. And probably the best thing that happened was not only that we planted churches, but that we inspired other people. And this is where the boutique churches that really got the job done came in. You know, when we went to Hawaii, we tried to run a public school, and it was against the law, and they wouldn't let us in. And then the federal government changed the law, and I got involved with a couple threatened lawsuits, me threatening them, by the way. And I had some young attorneys in my church that just wanted to go to war with separation of church and state. And 
and how could we force the public schools? And then the doors just swung open. And so we were able to plant churches in public schools for many years. In fact, our church met in a school for 16 years, and that was a really wonderful time for us. And then we got property. And yet, by the time that I left Hawaii, it was impossible to start a church in a public school. After 27 years, I handed off the big church that I had been with in Kaneohe, Hawaii. It's now called Anchor Church. My son's a pastor there. They're doing a great job. But my friend and I went across the island and started in a place called Kahala in the mall in a movie theater. And we really didn't want to go to a movie theater. We wanted to go to a public school. But it was impossible for us to use a public school, but for a very good reason. And that good reason is that every school in the state of Hawaii that's willing to rent to anybody, because that's the law. If you're willing to rent to anybody, you've got to be willing to rent to a church. Any school that's willing to throw their doors open for rent, about 650 of them, each have at least one church in them. And I know of one situation where there are three small churches meeting on a Sunday morning in the same school facility. That's wonderful. And that's what gets the job done. And so I'm here to talk to you about that we're going to have to lower our profile. We're going to have to rein things in financially. We're going to have to just do things more relationally if we want to reach millennials. We're going to have to do a whole lot of things different in the future than we've done in the past. And along the way, there are some decisions that you and I need to make. And those are first, am I even going to use my church as a launch pad to further the kingdom of God in this community outside the four walls of my building? That's a big question for everybody to ask yourself. And the second question is, if I do this, am I going to do it at level three and a half, level four, or level five? Am I going to do this by extension campuses? Those are good things. I'm not against that. That's a good deal. But something better is to reproduce the church. If you reproduce the church as many times as you possibly could in your lifetime, you're going to have a factor, you know, 10 times greater number of people that are walking with the Lord and in the kingdom of God because of what you did. Your church can grow. There's no harm in adding and building a big church while we're multiplying and reproducing churches. But then the question becomes, when somebody wants to do something just a little bit different, am I willing to take basically my level four movement? Because that's where everybody's going to start. They're going to look like you. You're going to have control. You have to just to learn how to make the thing work. But when somebody steps out of line just a little bit, or maybe they get involved with some other group and there's now a mixed allegiance, or, or they want to go just beyond arm's reach and move to a community just far enough away that it becomes difficult for you to meet with them, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle the person who begins to do church in a different language than you? And the culture that that that's a part of demands that things be different from you. All these are questions that we need to ask ourselves, but really comes down to, am I the kind of person that could do level four reproduction, and you should, or am I the kind of person that could morph over into level five movement making? And by movement making, I mean this, I can look in one situation that goes from me to a guy named Jeff Fisher, who was 20 years old when we sent him out to plant a church, to a guy named Dale uh, Yancey, who was like 30-something when Jeff sent him to plant a church, to a guy named Tom Johnston, who Dale led to the Lord and discipled to be a pastor, to a guy named Joe Mabe, who Tom led to the Lord, discipled to be a pastor, to a guy named Rob, who Joe led to the Lord and discipled to be a pastor, to two more men that I met, whose names I don't even know. This thing goes like nine generations deep of people who came to the Lord 
were discipled in a church, were sent out from the church, and then repeated the process. Recently, I was in Europe, and I bumped into a guy from, I guess it's Madagascar. I'm not even sure. I can't remember the names of some of those countries. And he's planted like 175 churches there, and I had heard about him. I pastored a church in Southern California in a place called Hermosa Beach, and I left it with a guy named Zach Nazarian, and eventually Zach sent a guy named Bill Gross out to a place in Torrance, and they started a really good church there. And then from there, that church sent Bill across the country to a place called Cary, North Carolina. And then from Cary, he discipled whoever this person was that I met who's doing this thing off the coast of Africa. And there's all these churches there. That's like four or five generations away from me. I had never even known the guy's name and don't know it to this day. I'm thrilled that I met him. I'm more thrilled that there are thousands of people that are going to be in the kingdom because we were able to somehow come out of ourselves and begin to think like movement makers. We were able to embrace the boutique rather than having to control the franchise. Hey, thanks for listening. If you haven't subscribed, I hope you will, and I hope you catch us next time. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.